Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. Good morning, good to have you here this morning. Hope you're doing well. I uh, was praying for you this week, as I often do, but uh, specifically uh, I was as I was thinking and praying, most of life is about relationships, isn't it? And if you can figure out how to, I guess, navigate and uh, do relationships well from everything from your marriage, I guess, to your um, interwork relationships, to your children, et cetera, et cetera. And so I prayed this week, uh, I want you to know, because uh, I think it's important that you understand we're praying for you. I prayed for marriages this week. I prayed for, um, I prayed for brothers and sisters I know, who's having trouble, don't put your hand up, but uh, who's having trouble there? Um, (laughs) I was praying for our children, our kids, it's a different day to live in and to express faith in different ways, I think think it's probably more confusing than ever for our young people, young adults to be thinking about faith in context of uh, how they live and where they live, it's pretty, pretty confusing, so I was praying uh, around that as well, and but to encourage you as well, our whole series is on the power of you. And I think as we're praying, I've, I've been preaching to myself, by the way, and I said something to, to you that I said to myself recently, which is um, when you're praying and asking God, the second part you could do is ask God, what's my part in it? And uh, one of the emphasis of this series has been, uh, and I get this and this is true, which is we've been, obviously prayer is giving to God all of our needs. But actually, as we've been doing this series going through the power of you, we've noticed that throughout the Bible, often when the disciples gave something to Jesus, he gave it back. And he said, well, you do that, or your faith will. Or And so, actually, this has helped me a lot. Uh, forget about you, it's helped me. I'm preaching to myself. That's clearly why I get sermons. And so, I have started to Whenever I'm just bringing everything to the Lord, which is fine and good, I'm also asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? And actually what it's done is, in certain areas, particularly in relationships, uh, what I've found myself doing is proactively then making a conversation with that person or that area of my life that I would normally just pray, and oh, well, God, let me know when you've fixed it, uh, as opposed to what could I do in that. And I think that's important. I think this, um, it's not either or, as you know me, I'm not an either or person, but if you could both take your challenges to God and then secondly ask God, what would you have me do personally with those challenges, uh, then what we have is, what, what we have is a dynamic to which God does his miracle, but you bring your faith in action. And uh, I think it's been an important part of this uh, series all the way through. So I've been praying for you. Hopefully in those areas uh, you're going to see uh, some breakthrough. I'm going to read a scripture to you this morning and I want to, before we give uh, where it's from, uh, I wonder whether you know where it's from, uh, I'm sure you will, but let me read it to you today. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who are we talking about? Esther. 
Esther. I think that last line is one of the most quoted uh, passages of Scripture. In fact, it's probably one of those cute quotes. It just about fits anywhere, right? You can Instagram it. Uh, I could preach on it this morning. It's, it's just a cool quote. It fits in any time and season. How could it not? I'll read it again. It says, uh, do you not know, but you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. I've heard sermon after sermon on it. Uh, this story, of course, about Esther, which we're going to go into a little bit this morning, and actually her well, her father, but actually he was her, he was her cousin because both of her parents uh, passed away. And so as a girl, he took her on and became her father. That idea that you were born for such a time as this is a great message, but I want to talk about the other part of the scripture that says this, if you remain silent at this time. You know, right across the Australian Christian churches this weekend and really across the nation in all denominations and faith, did you know we've set aside this Sunday to talk about the need to think about religious freedom. I don't know whether you know, and I'm going to talk about it at the end, I don't know whether you know that Australia does not have uh, a religious freedom protection for us. And it's one of the challenges that we have, and right now across our nation, uh, there's movement towards removing uh, or not allowing any kind of religious freedom. So the things that I talk about on Sunday, the, the uh, things that you chat about, uh, could quite possibly become illegal. And in some cases, in my case at the moment, certain things that even now that I might talk about uh, could get me in trouble and in jail. And so one of the things that we're talking about is that we want to make sure that we have a voice when it comes to what we believe in our faith. And I want to use this as a picture, if I can today, because I think your voice matters. But here's the thing at the moment. Most of what we feel about when it comes to our voice is we feel like we've got to be thrown into a ring where we've got to shout or be angry because that's what everybody else is. And we feel like the only way to be a voice is to be louder than somebody else. And so we don't know what our voice is and we don't know the time our voice is needed. But I can suggest to you today that certainly when it comes to the freedom of religion in Australia, now is the time. Now is the time for us as the church to speak up. You know, if you don't know the story of Esther, um, it's around, it, it happened around 486, 465 BC under King Xerxes. And King Xerxes, I know it's going to sound terrible because it was a, it's a terrible old culture uh, back then, which is uh, his queen, Vashti, uh, she was a little bit uh, you know, clearly sick of him, actually. And it, there's no other way of putting it. And uh, he summoned for her, as you do men, often as you summon your wife. Um, you're right. You know, that goes over real well. Um, Annette, would you come into my presence any time? You know, yeah. So you, you get it. Um, to which she says, what? Stay away from me. Uh, so that basically what happened. And uh, so he summoned her and she didn't want to go. She's having a bad day. And uh, so he decides, uh, well, you're out. I don't want you anymore, and he goes looking for a, key, a, a queen again, and uh, he finds Esther. The thing with Esther is that not only clearly she's, uh, as the Bible describes her, she's clearly beautiful, but actually I think the thing as you read the story, what impresses everybody around her is uh, she actually carries uh, within herself not only an intellect, but an authority and an influence uh, for the nobles, uh, for all of the attendants that are looking after her and preparing her for the king, the Bible describes her as impressive uh, in the way that she interacts with these people. At the same time, we've got her father, uh, Mordecai, 
who is watching what's happening outside of the palace and seeing that whenever a Jew decides not to bow and worship the king, we see an agitation arising. We see a frustration from uh, the king's side. We see noblemen, uh, if you like, dobbing on the Jews, telling uh, the king, I saw the other day, and Mordecai was one of them that uh, didn't bow down. And as this story unfolds, what we see is a tightening of the law to ensure that everybody, including the Jews who, who believe not to bow down to anybody other than God, we see a tightening of the law, so much so that if you hone into this moment in time where Esther is in the palace, that the king has made a decree to kill every Jew. I mean, that's a serious thing. And, and, and in fact, uh, unfortunately, for the Jewish culture, this is not going to be the first time this happens throughout history. In fact, many, many times laws are made or empires are built to shut down uh, God's people in a way that they should be forced to worship who the world believes they should worship. And so Esther is close to the king. She has an opportunity, if you like, but there's a problem. The problem is this, that even though Esther has clear favor with the king, even though he, uh, the king holds a special spot for her, even though there's clearly a relationship that's different to any other, unlike what Mordecai wants her to do, she can't just walk into the king's presence. You see, there's a rule. You have to be invited. And unless the king invites you, you cannot go into the king's presence, even if you are the favored girl like Esther is. The only way that you can get past that rule is if the king holds up his golden scepter when you walk in uninvited into the room. The problem is this, is the king really doesn't do that. In fact, he hasn't got a history of doing that whatsoever. He likes killing, that's his preference. And so multiple people over history have come into his presence and he has not raised the scepter and they have lost their life. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying that because for Esther, there is a real possibility that if she steps into that moment and uses her voice to rescue her people, she literally will lose her life. What's interesting is this, is that Mordecai, who clearly loves Esther, it's his daughter, who knows the rules, who understands getting her to go into the king's presence at that moment in that time, could quite possibly see her lose her life. Off the back of that, he st still says this, what we just read, and I'll read it again in Esther 4.14. This is what Mordecai says. He says to his daughter, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. You and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time of the, as this. And I want to say this morning, your voice matters. Your voice matters. And actually, if I think back in my short life, I think about my own generation and the generation before me, how different our world is, and maybe it's different and not in a good way because we didn't use our voice. And I've noticed something that when we don't use our voice and you multiply that along the path, 
the things, and I, this is my experience, and even now as I talk about it, I've got to be careful, but the things that I have said to local government MPs when major decisions are going to be changed about all sorts of things. I have had and even got in writing from those MPs telling me, don't worry, your religious freedoms will be protected. But because that one law was made and everybody tells me you will be protected, it's only, trust me, it's only a matter of time before what was said to me back there is now the complete opposite. And I can tell you right now in this nation, our religious freedom is under attack. It's not, I'm not being an alarmist. I'm simply bringing to your attention that we have a time in history where if we could use our voice, then our kids' kids and their kids will not have to live under the dodging of their faith in a nation. Never in my short life, no, I keep saying short life. Never in my short life ever in this nation have I ever had to be careful about what I say that I read from the Bible. Already. Already. And if we don't recognize that if we remain silent at this time, our kids and their kids will have to sit under a gospel where their pastors and leaders will have to limit what they say or not do a bit of jail time. Apostle Paul had a prison ministry. You can still get some stuff done. So how do you know when to speak up? Well, first of all, we need to understand this wasn't about, this. sorry, this was about their own people. Because I think one of the misconceptions when we talk about our voice and speaking up, I think one of the misconceptions that maybe the rest of the community thinks is that when we, want to, when we talk about our right to speak about our values and beliefs, actually it's automatically assumed that we're saying that others can't believe what they believe, but that's not true. Even in this story, Esther was not going to the king to say, um, you can't stop us doing, and by the way, you need to get everybody else to follow our God. That's not what she was doing. And I think we need to separate these two things. I think we need to understand that when we're speaking about our Christian values, our beliefs and our values, we're not telling everybody else they can't have theirs. In fact, if you talk about the freedom of religion, actually, this what we need in this nation is actually the freedom of religion for all faiths, not just Christian faith. It's the very foundation to which our nation is built on that you should be able to choose faith. This is also the message of the gospel, by the way. Jesus did not come to force everybody to follow him. You get a choice. And what we're really talking about is the power of choice when it comes to faith and religion in our country. So here's the thought. When we speak up for our Christian values, we are not tearing somebody else's down. Nor are we saying everyone must adopt our values. Instead, as global citizens in a free world, our values have a right to be lived out within our Christian context. This is not hate speech. This is not anti-love your neighbor. This is we want to live in a nation where we get to express our beliefs and values. So I think it's a basic human right. You should speak up when your, right, when your right to express your Christian values are threatened or removed. You should speak up. You should say something. You should use your voice 
because you can pray all you like. And we are going to pray. But somewhere, sometime, we've got to open this. And we've got to say, no, that's not the nation we want. We're not going to be bullied into a situation where we're not allowed to express our Christian values. Imagine, or we think back to William Wilberforce, who used his voice in the late 18th and 19th century. Thank God he did. To abolish slavery. What a terrible thing that was. And we often think about that scenario, if you do, and we, we, we would today go, oh, of course, I mean, slavery is terrible. Not back then. Slavery, we was, slavery was the culture of the time. It was done not only globally, but particularly in the U.S. This was the very culture of the community. Everybody believed, or most people believed, that slavery was a good thing for community. Who else is going to do the work? Who else is going to harvest the crops? But William Wilberforce, something in his born-again Christian faith, something in him said, we can't, we can't remain silent at this time. We have to speak up. We can't let decades of slavery continue beyond this day. And he had a fight on his hands. And it took him years. And he, you know what? He had to face losses uh, of massive opposition. And again, looking back, we go, wow, you know, but we don't think. And maybe this time right now is critical for us to say, hey, we have a voice. We can use it. I love um, when I think about Apostle Paul and uh, the way he interacted around the gospel. And if you've uh, read the story of Mars Hill, Mars Hill, uh, for Apostle Paul, Mars Hill was, uh, I guess, the Greek place of counsel or judgment, the highest court. And so that's where people would go. But as a part of that, the council, they were... They were almost like, um, they weren't just judges, they were pseudo-philosophers and there was kind of this weird mix and they were seen as the innovators of thought and intellect in their time. And the Apostle Paul, you know the story, as he walked up there, he passed all these different gods that people had been uh, worshipping and, and acknowledging and, and actually it was part of their framework for discussion. And as Paul was walking up, he noticed the one god, to the one uh, idol, if you like, to the unknown God. And Paul was smart enough, he used his intelligence in this case to say, rather than go in and beat them all over the head and tell them they should not be, those other 10 gods, you should not be believing in them, you should only believe in this one. Paul was smart in the way that he communicated, and I think we can be as well. In Acts 17, 22, listen to what Paul says, he says, so Paul, standing before that council, addressed them as follows, and he said, there's men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. You know, if you read this passage of Scripture, we understand that Paul, the way in which Paul defended his values was to include theirs was to say, I, I recognize we are actually not dissimilar. I recognize that we can probably agree on something. There's something beyond us that we're all looking to. We can agree that today we recognize that us mere humans aren't enough to deal with these world's problems and there ought to be another higher power. Can I just like you have been discussing for a long time, can I, for this moment, can I include the God I believe in? And he brought it in the mix. 
And maybe in context of our situation, we could describe with, our religious, with the religious freedom that we're looking to ensure, we could say something like this to the world, to its people and to its governments, that we agree people of all kinds should be free to choose their beliefs and values. That tolerance extends beyond those who are tolerant of just their own kind. Our values, like yours, flow from a power higher than us all. Values that value humanity, seek to help those who can't help themselves, and to live in a world where freedom of choice remains essential. Felt like a politician slightly then when I said that. But I think the reason why we need a voice is because we've often thought our voice is only worthwhile when we have a dogma. When we leave it to the last minute and we've got to shout and placard. But actually, I think we've got to position ourselves. You know, I stood in uh, front of some pastors from New South Wales recently. And I said, I'm just thinking back over even my time as youth pastor. Where I used to stand on Friday nights. And I used to say to that 80 or 100 people in the room, I used to say, hey, I reckon... uh, We're going to pray tonight for people who are called to ministry. And the problem with that problem, with that comment, was I know what I was talking about. I was talking about people who are going to become pastors. I was naive. What I should have been saying is this. Tonight, I'm going to pray for people who are going to go into the ministry of education. Tonight, I'm going to pray for people who are going to go into the ministry of politics. Uh, I'm going to pray for people who are going to go into the ministry of business, uh, the ministry of healthcare, the ministry of science and technology, the ministry of media, and then that one weird person that wants to become a pastor, I'll chat to you later. That's what I should have been doing, right? Because what we fail to do, while we're quietly being careful about our voice, not wanting to upset somebody, what we should have done was we should have championed the young person who wants to become a politician so when the time comes, they've got to use their voice. But we here we were inside our building doing our thing, imagining the world could never get worse or there'd never be a time in this beautiful free country like Australia that we'd ever be told we can't say that from the Bible. We never thought that, yet here we are. And I think we live in a time where, and we're going to have some tools for you today to do that, but we have to recognize that right now, that we do need to use our voice, and our voice matters. It's important, because I, I think even more so now, I have little Teddy, my grandson in my life. I think about the things he has to navigate, that I never had to navigate. I think about um, our, our school, Cedars. And the many schools that maybe you're involved in or your kids are involved in and the really big challenges that the schools have around who they can employ. And, and remember again, our voice when we say we have the right to believe our Christian values is not the automatic opposite. It is not telling other people they can't believe what they believe. I think that's a key thought today. When we stand on our values, we're not telling other people they can't have theirs. We're just saying we want the kind of nation where everybody gets to choose their values. Everybody gets to choose what they believe in. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a differentlight.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.